Hello, and welcome to RBC Disruptors. I'm your host, John Stackhouse. We're recording today's episode of our podcast in front of a live audience here at the 2019 Catalyst Canada Honours Conference in Toronto, where the theme is Future at Work. Now, if you're not familiar with RBC Disruptors, this is our ongoing conversation about innovation, technology, and how disruption is changing everything around us. And as we get ready for the 2020s, and that's just a few weeks away, I can't think of many greater challenges than the automation of work. We think it's also an opportunity. It's an opportunity for millions of Canadians, for everyone really, to enhance their skills, to take on more rewarding work as machines take on more of those mundane and repetitive tasks that for centuries have defined that thing we call work. It won't be easy. We've been studying the future of work for a number of years at RBC. Last year, we published a landmark report called Humans Wanted. It showed that the skills needed for roughly half the jobs out there are going through a significant disruption because of automation. We also found women are at greater risk in their jobs and the skills that they'll need. Now, despite these challenges, we also discovered Canadians are in a good position to move to new and better jobs if they have access to the right kind of training and reskilling, a big if. The challenge is deepest among frontline employees. Think of retail servers or call center operators. Globally, 80% of workers today are in those kind of frontline jobs. And according to a global survey by Ipsos, 54% of frontline employees are going to need some form of significant reskilling by 2022. The majority of those people are women. Now, despite those numbers, fewer than half the employees Ipsos found are spending any money on retraining or skilling. This is a major obstacle that needs to be addressed as we work towards workplace equity and diversity. Today, I'm joined by Carol Lehman, a serial entrepreneur who is out to do just that. Carol is CEO of Exonify. It's a micro-learning company based in Waterloo, Ontario. She's an accountant by training, who's now on her fourth startup, this one to revolutionize the way companies retrain their frontline workers. Carol thinks the disruption of learning and something called micro-learning can turn the age of automation into a positive force. Exonify is working with a range of employees, including RBC, to change the way we learn, to give employees the skills they'll need in the 2020s, and to help employers take advantage of the amazing new technologies that we all have in our hands and we see around us wherever we live and work. Carol, welcome to RBC Disruptors. Thank you. I want to start with that funny word, micro-learning. What is it? Uh, micro-learning, in its broadest sense, micro-learning is um, a learning moment that is short. So bite-sized, um, you know, could be a minute, could be three minutes, could be one concept, could be two or three concepts, and done kind of in the moment that you need it. So... Um, that's kind of in its broadest sense. You can start to then take microlearning and become, um, with technology today, much more specific about what those little microlearning, what we call key learning points are, so that they can become very relevant and adaptive to the individual. So I, I feel like I just had a microlearning moment, learning <laughs> what microlearning is. That's good. Uh, under, under a minute. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll remember that. Exonify. Your, your, your company, in a, in, in a sentence, what is it? 
So Exonify is uh, an adaptive micro-learning platform that delivers very specific, relevant information to individual employees, person by person, every day, in three to five minutes. And the information that gets conveyed is very relevant to the job that uh, their employers or companies need them to do so that they can perform at peak at all time. So we're, we're going to get in d- deeper into Exonify and the, the, the company's story and deeper into the issues around uh, reskilling and uh, some of the challenges it poses to society. But I, I want to learn a bit more about you. Tell us, uh, tell us a bit of your story. You started as an accountant I and did. then became an entrepreneur. Why, why, the, uh, why the career switch there? I actually, as a teenager, always thought I would be in business generally and run my own companies. And in fact, when I was 17, a friend of my mother asked me, so, you know, do you know what you want to be? And uh, I said to her, and this was 35 years ago, I'm going to run companies one day. So for a teenage girl to say that 35 years ago to another woman, I got the reaction you would all expect, which is... um, Really, like there was clearly the look on her face was sure that sort of reaction. Um, It wasn't until I had my first what I would call real corporate job, uh, so not an accounting firm job, um, that I had this immediate recognition of, uh, ah, this is what I was meant to do. I, I want to take you back to 16-year-old Carol and that, uh, that moment, that epiphany, when you wanted to be a CEO, because there's some new research out from Plan International that surveyed Canadian uh, women aged 16 to 22, I think it is, and only 10% of them, it's a shocking number, 10% of them saw themselves being a CEO one day. I mean, this is 2019. That, that seems... Bonkers. What? It is. What's the reason for that? In it's your mind? disappointing. I, I, you know, I still think the reason is that um, there are not enough role models and like successful role models who reach the upper echelons of the corporate world who have profile. Who, um, who are your role models? Um, so interestingly, a, a little story there too. Um, I would say that when I was a teenager. I I had a role model, a female role model, very public woman, um, who was my sort of iconic, I want to be that. She ended up going to prison. (laughs) Her name is Martha Stewart. (laughs) And uh, I don't know why, but there was something about Martha's businesses. She was really taking off when I was a teenager, coming into her own. And I, she was this iconic, very successful female who had many business interests. And I looked at that and just went, okay, why not me? Why can't I do that? Of course I can do that. And when I did go into industry, as it's called, um, didn't actually have a role model per se, uh, but I did work for an individual who had a very very significant impact on my career. He was a young guy. I was 25 or 26. He was 35. Um, We were a small public company. And he 
was an extremely smart individual who I would say lacked like non-existent uh, interpersonal skills in terms of how to deal with people. And I had, I, I was very quiet, shy, heads down, hard worker. You know, it was all I could do every day to um, withstand the barrage. And it wasn't just me, you know, uh, many of us were subjected to the behavior. And uh, he taught me over, I, I lasted working for him for about six or seven years. He taught me um, many things that I could withstand anything. So I built an incredible amount of backbone and body armor, um, just heads down working for him. And also, um, he had me do many things day in and day out that I had really honestly no business doing. Um, there was a day we needed some cash. He threw a couple of business cards at my face. They landed on my desk and he said, we need $40 million, go find it. Things like that that terrified me, but I was forced to step up and do. And so he would be the most formative part in terms of role model, both good and bad, uh, how never to treat people at work. That was my big lesson on the bad side. Um, but how also you can do anything. You know what? You can do anything. You just need to decide that you can do anything. That's all it is. So take us back to the monster figure who you've described. I'm trying to, I, I understand the, the, the bad qualities, the good, the good qualities are what? He, he said to a 27-year-old female, go find $40 million for the company. I trust you. To, was, he, was that the good? A hundred percent. He was a very evolved young man for the time. And I'm talking, you know, mid-90s. Um, you know, just the fact that he hired me into um, a corporate role, I was the most senior female in that public company at the age of 27. And, uh, you know, he had the uh, wherewithal to make that decision and then trust me to figure it out and just do what I needed to do and um, and I did my utmost not to let him down and not to let the company down. And nothing was going to destroy us or me or any of those things. So he taught me that uh, resiliency in a way that I, I don't know who else I would have learned that from, to be so honest. It's remarkable. We're here talking about the future uh, at work and the future of work. And in all the discussions about skills, you hear those two words perseverance and resilience over and over again as they grow in value. And that's a great insight into to, to, to the, uh, to the roots of, of those qualities. Plenty of other companies, as you know, are in the micro-learning space. What's different about Exonify? Uh, the, the key things that are different about us um, are, one, we have this adaptive algorithm that is based on brain science. So one of the things that uh, we did in the early years was worked with a neuroscientist who uh, validated the way in which we were training tied to how the brain actually works to create memory. And we didn't actually even realize in the early days that we were employing cognitive science concepts to drive memory and retention faster than anything. The other biggest thing is that because of the amount of data we now collect, which is 
um, about 50 million data points a month across the globe. We can apply machine learning to that data, extract the correlations, for lack of a better term. My data scientist would cringe. He hates the word correlation. But we extract the things that tie to one another. And we can actually tell our customers now, uh, if you train on these 10 things and you get this much participation and this, this much knowledge growth in those topic areas, you'll grow your revenue by 10% next month. And so it's very provable. Nobody else does that. I wonder if you can step back and give us a sense of this boom in learning tech. Uh, it's extraordinary how much is going on out there. There's probably some McKinsey study that says it's worth X trillion dollars a year. But it's phenomenal how much learning tech is out there. What, what's behind it? Uh, I think just the evolution of technology and also the changing demographic and, and uh, characteristics of the modern workforce. Um, you know, it was simply the case 30 years ago, what we had were classrooms and people to deliver training material. With, you know, the rise of the internet, uh, smartphone use in our daily lives and at work, suddenly you could touch people all day, every day. And uh, learning technology evolved with that. Um, and, you know, with the changing demographics of the workforce and the changing work like we all have, there was a study done a few years ago uh, by an organization called Burson by Deloitte, one of the leading um, industry analysts in the learning space. And they, they uh, looked at a study of the characteristics of modern employees. We, three quarters of us are stressed out at work. We have no time to learn anything. We, we do it under duress almost. If you're forced to watch an hour video, you know, you're listening to it in the background and clicking through till you get to the questions. And then usually the questions are fairly easy to answer. If you don't pass, you go back and do it again. So technology is given uh, companies and all of it, and Google, you know, you want to know something? You go on Google. We're used to snack-sized bites of information. So technology's enabled all of that and the need for the modern learner, the modern worker, to have access to information anywhere, anytime, in the moment that they need it. So all of those things, you know, we call it um, almost like there's been a three-point collision of characteristics changing in the workplace, the technology that enables it, and also knowledge around how the brain works to create memory that then can be pulled out to be used at any moment. I wonder if we can turn to the future of work and uh, some gender challenges. As I, I said in the introduction, uh, women tend to be in, in positions, in lines of work that are more automatable, more susceptible to automation than men. Lots of illustrations of that. Interesting in our research, we've also found women tend to have the foundational skills that we all need to, to move into new jobs and into new sectors that may not even e exist today. So they, they may be under greater threat, but also better positioned for future mobility. How do you think organizations should be thinking about this both twin, twin challenge and, uh, and opportunity? I think the good news is organizations are thinking about it in greater number. And even having conversations like this are so hugely beneficial uh, to moving the ball up the field um, where that is concerned. And 
my my belief is that 10 years from now there will be that much more equality um, but in the meantime so organizations thinking and and actively doing something about it being thoughtful and mindful of diversity and inclusion is essential uh, and it is happening um, it still needs to happen a lot I also um, know though that uh, if you look at statistics around, uh, women generally, women are creating businesses um, at a pace that is unprecedented. So women are extremely resourceful. When women have to look after the family, have to look after themselves, um, women find ways to do that uh, in a way that really draws on inner resource. And they're doing it in numbers, as I said, that are unprecedented. So I think that as the workplace shifts, um, you're going to see organizations take more action to support women in different career streams. And that's all goodness. I think you'll also see women who get displaced starting their own businesses and creating opportunities for other women and men. Uh, and give them a hand up. Um, I, I think it's all going, to, it will sort itself out naturally, but it does need today uh, a helping hand and the awareness raising that we're doing in order to make sure that that ends up shifting in the right direction. So I, I think it's all going to sort itself out uh, and awareness is the first, and, and activities like this are the first things that we need to do to to keep that ball moving. What can we learn from Exonify's experience? Because you were selected as, I think, one of Canada's best places to work for women. Uh, your leadership team is uh, is more female than, than male. How have you built your own culture of both diversity and inclusion? That's a really, I get asked that question a lot, and the only thing I can fathom is... Um, I can tell you, uh, absolutely have we not gone, hmm, we've got 10 executives in the business and we need, when we're hiring one, we need to make sure it's a woman. We have never had that conversation. I've never had that conversation at work in, in eight years. Uh, and we have a software company and 45% of our employees are women and 55% are men. So in, as software companies go, you know, that's very skewed. Um, mostly they're men. Um, I think, quite honestly, it's because women are attracted to working with large numbers of other women because they see the possibilities. So I think that we just have naturally attracted a disproportionate number of women to a wide variety of roles that have traditionally been held by men. So we have uh, quite a large number of female software developers, which is not the typical case. My vice president of product is a woman. Again, not the typical case. Um, my co-founder, who is a senior sales, enterprise sales professional, is a woman. Um, she was a friend of mine. And I just happen to know her as the best salesperson I'd ever met in my life. So uh, she and I bought Exonify together. It's just kind of naturally evolved. And the only thing I can fathom is we create an environment naturally that is very conducive to having a good balance in the workplace. It's got to be more than natural selection. I'm curious what you do with your culture that may make it 
uh, at least open the doors more or make it more inclined towards the balance that you've that you've developed. You know, you're you're actually right about that, John. I think we, um, you know, probably because we have a significant number of female leaders, uh, we create we call it the Exona Fam. Um, you know, we we have very much a family friendly sort of environment to work in. We, uh, you know, I don't care what hours you work. I don't care how much vacation you take. You know, you come to work. I say this to every employee as we onboard them. I want you, for whatever period of time you work at Exonify, to feel, when you look back in your career, like this was the best place you ever worked hands down. And if you don't feel that way when you come to work every day, you need to come see me. And I, my office is in the middle of the building in a glass bubble. So I'm surrounded by glass. Everybody can see me. Um, and I, every day, have from co-op students all the way to, you know, my own direct reports and everything in between, pop their head in my office and say, you know, hey, did you have a good weekend? Or uh, did you read this article? Did you see what this competitor is doing? And... All of us, the leadership team emulates a an environment of openness, um, real, true transparency. I, you know, every day I uh, make mistakes. I do dumb things. I make poor decisions. I'm totally good with that. And everybody knows it. So there's lack of fear around doing the same thing. You know, I just expect you to do your best work while you're here, support everybody else, and make sure you have fun doing it. Because why come to work and feel bad? You shouldn't have to come to work and feel bad. So it's interesting to contrast that story with what we see and hear in so many tech companies uh, around the world where the situation is uh, it's pretty negative, uh, especially for a lot of women. Tech companies consider themselves uh, open. Netflix created this culture of, you know, take your own vacation when you want it, set your own hours. Uh, everything is about being open, inclusive, fun, and yet there is this, in, in some places, severely negative culture. Mm-hmm. How did you stay away from, from that neg- negativity that we see so prevalent in other corners of tech. Again, you're so right. And, you know, I could I could list a number of companies because I, I know so many uh, companies in the tech world list many companies who have, you know, what's commonly referred to as the bro culture, um, that young male entrepreneur, take no prisoners, um, and not female friendly. Um, I just don't tolerate it. If... Like, I can tell you that over the last eight years, there have probably been three people we've hired um, who very quickly I could identify as not a good cultural fit, didn't exhibit the behavior, didn't exhibit the culture, um, had that kind of attitude of, you know, they're better than everybody else. They're smarter, they're this, they're that. Um, they don't last. I just don't tolerate it. And I think what's, so, so people know, and I've described this to others as it's almost like a, you know, a cell, a healthy cell in your body, and you get a virus in your body coming in, trying to penetrate the cell. If you have a healthy immune system, so think about that as your company, 
a healthy immune system and culture, viruses can't penetrate and take root and make the organization sick. So my goal is to create the healthiest immune system for our company as I can so that when the virus enters, as they do, as you grow and get bigger, it's impossible to screen out everybody you don't want working there. But if your immune system is healthy, you will they will actually sometimes self-select out because they can't they can't get away with what they're used to getting away with. And uh, we just we it, it does take steady applied pressure, um, constant reinforcement to to make sure you maintain that level of culture um, and feeling in the or and you know I'm like the chief cheerleader for the and chief supporter in the company uh, and if I don't exhibit those behaviors I certainly can't expect others to and and I expect others to and if you don't you know it. What's um, what's your biggest cultural challenge now? Um, I would say uh, we have a lot of people who are ready for next steps in their careers. They um, so they've worked at Exonify for you know three four years and are looking for career advancement. And so we're looking for ways, but you know there isn't necessarily that opportunity with us. And we don't want to lose them. So uh, we're looking for ways to continue to grow and develop our people um, that uh, give them additional responsibility and uh, grow their skills, very much you know, what we do for our customers, so that we can retain uh, the talent that we have. Can you give us an example or insight on how you do that? Because that is a challenge that I suspect every organization is Facing, there's a big new generation mm-hmm. that wants to take on more, and that they'll leave mm-hmm. if they don't have that opportunity. Exactly right, and and it goes, you know, well beyond pay and compensation-related things. You know, that's kind of a given. Um, we so we always post our jobs internally first, and where we think uh, there's an individual or two that would be a good fit, even if it's a stretch fit for the role, uh, we are always more inclined to to uh, promote somebody internally than to hire outside. Uh, the other thing we do is, and we're just actually doing a complete uh, redo of this, we run leadership programs um, for emerging leaders in the business to grow their skills. And these programs go on, um, you know, through variety of means reinforced with our technology. And, uh, you know, that's a way for them to grow their skills. We, um, we encourage people to get involved in things outside the organization that could, you know, kind of bring Exonify to, you know, their, their learning and their, um, the cultural kind of things we've instilled in them to other organizations, whether they're volunteer, uh, sports organizations, things like that. So we give them time you know, in order to pursue those things. Um, we try as best we can, you know, from time to time we do lose people because they're getting a big career leap somewhere else and we just don't have that opportunity internally yet, um, you know, because we've got people in the roles. Mm. In our remaining minutes, I wonder if I can ask you a bit about your own evolution as, uh, as a leader. Uh, m- maybe take us back to uh, that experience of selling one of your companies to, uh, to Google. Uh, Incredible transition there, great success. What did you learn about yourself 
in dealing with Google? Uh, again, you know, I, I would say I learned many things dealing with Google. Amazing company, very hard acquirers to deal with. Um, and uh, so quite literally, it was me and my one corporate lawyer against 20 lawyers on Google's side and their whole corporate development team. And um, it, it was uh, another, you know, exercise in uh, resiliency and, like, I can do this. I can rise up and, uh, and you know, be a force with an organization like Google, hold my own, um, and, you know, get what I wanted out of it to the point where actually the technical founder of my last company was a 25-year-old um, software developer. And he, uh, he thought several times during that deal cycle that um, I was going to crater the deal because I was so pushing back so hard uh, against, you know, what Google was trying to do, as they would do in any negotiation. Uh, so that kind of, you know what? I can I can go toe to toe with Google, um, you know. It's just a, a fun thing. Um, the other thing I learned was uh, how, what a happy thing it is, what a happy event it can be to have your company acquired. Uh, I had not had that. I, I sold two previous companies that um, I didn't do. I didn't think enough, especially the first one about what life was going to be like for the employees afterwards. And I was so focused on the transaction for our shareholders that I didn't pay enough attention to the people in the trenches doing the work. That was a huge lesson for me. So the Google acquisition was quite the opposite of that. I was um, I learned what a good thing it can be when you sell a company to a great organization. Um, and many other things along the way. That's great. Always think about your employees. Um, we've been talking a lot about learning. I'm curious, as, as, as you've evolved as a leader, what you've had to unlearn. Oh, gosh. <laughs> many, many things. Um, I've had to unlearn. I am a perfectionist. You know, I'm a Virgo through and through. Uh, I have had to unlearn. It's okay to sometimes be, it's okay, it's good, it's good enough. It doesn't need to be perfection. Uh, those sorts of things were earlier in my career. You know, I, I can't say I had to unlearn it, but I certainly didn't follow that path of, you know, beat people to get more out of them. Um, I, you know, I am, I'm very much about lead with love, and uh, you, you can get the best out of people by treating people with respect and kindness. Um, I don't have to be mean to anybody uh, at work, and they do amazing work. Um, so I would say just, uh, you know, as the company has grown, and I don't have to roll up my sleeves and actually produce what I call work product every single day, that's hard for me. Like, I like to do Excel spreadsheets from time to time and, you know, write an article for Kiyomi, who's our PR person here. We, we got teams of people now to do this stuff, but I do like to, you know, so trying, trying to let other people do their thing and not have to do it myself is, 
That was the transition. And this is why your team sends you to do events like this, <laughs> exactly. so that they can uh, do, the do, do, do all those other things. <laughs> so we, we've got a great audience here um, and, uh, and around the, the world who are listening, who are lifelong learners. I'm curious if there's a, one video or book or podcast, besides RBC Disruptors, that, uh, that has been most influential for you over the last year. Uh, you know, I would say there's a book that, and it goes to the topic of leadership that um, has really resonated with me. It's called Multipliers. Uh, it's by a woman named Liz Wiseman. And she uh, spent her career at Oracle and studied when she left the qualities of good leaders and not so good leaders and found both very strong and successful. But what, what, did the be- what characteristics did the best leaders have? And she ended up characterizing them as multipliers and the other set as diminishers. And if you read that, it's a very easy read. I strongly recommend it. Um, it's very easy to identify yourself as a multiplier or a diminisher. And both surround themselves with good people, but then as you'll read in the book, what happens over time with each of those different groups and how one multiplies productivity and one diminishes it for your organization. Great book, um, really spoke to me, and uh, well worth the read. And like I say, it's not a not a long read or a, a really technical read by any means, um, and great stories in it. Well, what, what a great story, a bunch of stories you've shared with us, Carol. Thank you for that. I think it's clear you're a multiplier um, in, in, uh, in many ways, not only with the, your companies and employees, but the inspiration that you're giving to so many people, including, I suspect, a lot of 16-year-olds out there who are going to model based on what they uh, model their careers and their learning based on what they see with you. So thanks for putting yourself out there. Thanks for being part of RBC Disruptors. Thank you. So if you've enjoyed today's conversation, please subscribe to our podcast series, RBC Disruptors. It's available on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, if you like what you hear, please give us a rating or a review. If you don't like what you hear, please just skip the rating and review section. Uh, now, we want to hear everything from you, but uh, love to grow our audience. So keen for you all to, uh, to share that. Thanks again, Carol, for joining My us here pleasure. today. Thank you.